The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. To you, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! Be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of our Lord. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Please be seated. Today in our Revelation reading, Revelation chapter 7, it's quite interesting. God reveals to us, so Jesus, right, he takes up John, the Apostle John, Jesus' follower John, the youngest one. He takes him up into a vision and shows him what is to come between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his second coming. And a little bit after that. In the new creation. He reveals to us, though, today in Revelation chapter 7, the two ways he sees the Christian church, the two ways God sees the Christian church. The first is called the, the now church, and then, of course, the future church. The now church is the one in the first half, it's called the church militant. It's made up of all of us here on earth now. What might be confusing to you is the way in which Jesus tells us about it. He says there's 144,000 of them, which is kind of like an ancient Hebrew way of saying all of them. Think 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament times 12 disciples times 1,000, which in the Old Testament would mean all of them or everything. In the Psalms, he says, the cows on a thousand hills are the Lord's. Does it mean the cows on the thousand and one-th hill are Jim's? No, those are also the Lord's. And so 12 times 12 times 1,000 is 144,000. And what that basically means is all Christians today, no matter what denomination, 
no matter what, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, that he is your Lord and Savior, that he died and rose for you, you are numbered in the 144,000. And so you don't have to wish by singing, oh, when the saints come marching in, how I'd love to be in that number. You are in that number. God sends this angel also, his messenger, to say, keep all Christians safe. Limit the harm done to them as they go through the great tribulation. And the great tribulation is, of course, all of the time between Christ's ascension and his return. And all of the the suffering, all of the depression that we feel, all of the difficulty, the pain, the grief that you and I go through as Christians on a daily basis for Christ's sake. We are struck down but not abandoned. We even grieve as Christians, but not as the world grieves, for we have hope in the resurrection and eternal life with our Lord Jesus. The angel then says, Jesus marks you with his seal. We all know what a seal is. It's what you stamp on something, maybe, It's, well, it's not the seal of, you know, like screwing in a pipe and then it's sealed. It's the stamp that you put on something that says it's yours. And you can read that as faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Jesus Christ is a seal on you. God gives you faith in him. It is a gift. We do nothing to earn faith in Jesus Christ. We do nothing to earn our salvation. It is a gift to you. It is his seal, his signature. It's how he signs his name on you. Yahweh. Yahweh of hosts. Yahweh of Sabaoth. I who am, who was, and will be. He signs his name on you. And because your name is on him, you will be with him. In paradise, this is the blessed assurance that we sing about all the time. You know that you are numbered with the saints in heaven in the 144,000 because Jesus has signed his name on you with your faith that he's given you. God keeps you safe. He delivers you into heaven by signing his name on you through the gift of Of your faith. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit alone, gives you the gift of faith through the preached word. And the preached word might take the form of mom telling you when you're a kid, Jesus loves you. That is the preached word that creates faith in people's hearts. He gives faith, the Spirit does, through the gift of the sacrament of baptism where he marks you, signs his name on you, creates faith on you. In fact, the easiest place that this signature can be found is in the gift and sacrament of baptism. It's something that all Christians have with them at all times and can never be doubted, can never be made to go away. When you look at your baptism, when you look at a baptism, say at that font, at the entrance of the church. You don't just see water, 
But you see, God's name, Matthew 28, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit attached to the water. You see God's command from Matthew 28. Go therefore into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You see God's promise. Mark 16, 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. All these three things, God's name, his promise, his command, are joined to the water in the waters of baptism. And so when anyone is baptized, Paul tells us in Titus chapter 3 that faith is created in her and that her faith receives the gift of salvation. It's like Noah's Ark. Water washes away the bad, but the ark of your faith in baptism keeps you afloat. If you ever fall off that boat, don't worry. Just reach out and grab a hold of God's word. Grab hold of his command, his name, his promise that you have been given. Be honest before God. Trust his word of promise and deliverance, just as he delivered his people Israel out of Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea and washed away the evil Egyptians behind them. You have been delivered from Egypt, brought through the Red Sea of baptism, and your sin has been washed away. Trust in God's promise of deliverance. You gotta love John. He tells us so simply today in our epistle that because you belong to the Father, because he's made you his children through baptism, the world now does not understand you. You think it's a bum deal, but it's not. Rejoice, Jesus says, for the world did not understand me first. Yet your reward will be great in heaven if you remain faithful. Isn't Jesus' list of how one is blessed weird? When people wear shirts today, I see them all the time at Jewel. When people have bumper stickers today, when people have like Hobby Lobby wall art, And it says blessed on it, and it's in their house, or it's on their shirt, or what have you. Maybe it even says, like, hashtag blessed, and you're kind of confused because you read it as pound sign blessed, and you don't understand what's going on. Do those people, do they think of blessedness like Jesus did? Do they believe blessed are the weak? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who are mourning. I don't think so. Of course, we can't see into their hearts. But the way that the world sees blessedness is making more money. And specifically, more money than you. Having a nice house, or specifically having a nicer house... Then you, right? We've all played this game. We've all been on the bad end of it, too. Having lots of stuff, 
Maybe that's even what is a part of what you believe being blessed is. And that's why it's so important to seek first Jesus' words. To call what Jesus calls blessed instead of what we call blessed. Because his word is more sure. If you have faith in all of these things, in having more money, in having a nice house, in having a job that is better than someone else, maybe a car better than someone else, if that's what you have faith in, why do you need faith in God? It's why Jesus is teaching us this. At a certain point, if you provide all of these things for yourself and you look to yourself to provide these things for you and your family, why would you need faith in God? You trust in yourself already and you provide all things. And if you're going to pretend like you are not going to die someday and someday soon, then why do you need a savior to save you from death. It's why Jesus preaches these words that are so confusing. He wants you instead of having faith in things, in prestige, in the denial of death, to have faith in him. And so, though you are weak, you are made strong. Though you mourn, You have the gift and hope and promise of everlasting life for you and all of your family and loved ones who have faith in Christ. Though you are hungry, though you hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus will make you full as you seek him in his word. Jesus will give you strength. Jesus will point you to your own and your loved ones. Saving faith in Jesus Christ and the promise of the resurrection on the last day. Jesus will give you the food which does not spoil his word. Sometimes joined with his body and his blood. Sometimes joined with the water of life. Jesus makes up for your shortcomings. He takes the blame for your failures like a good older brother does. Love him. Trust him alone. Because we are Jesus' little brothers, his little sisters, he will make us like him. For now we have the promise of eternal life, which is signed, sealed in our baptism a deposit to us that he will make good on on the last day. But when he returns, he will raise us from the dead and make us new and glorious like him. When your loved one dies, what do you choose to tell other people about them, about him or her? I've never had to write an obituary. I've, of course, written and prepared many funeral sermons, but never a eulogy for a family member, someone I love dearly. How do you sum up a whole life 
and present this person as someone worthy of love and admiration and respect to sometimes people that are completely estranged from you and your family. We've all been to funerals where we did not know the deceased. As someone who's gone to many funerals and presides over many funerals, let me share a few things that people often say about their loved ones. He was a huge Cubs fan. He was nice. She never missed Wheel of Fortune. This is usually what people say to sum up the entire life of their mom or dad. Is that really what you love about your family members? No. Obviously, it's impossible to express why. You know, it's like, you know, why do you love your wife? Why do you love your husband? Why do you love your kids? It's like, well, okay, let me think up something on the spot, right? No, it's impossible. And that's why it's important to always point to, to talk about this person's faith, that the hope that they had and we still have, even now, in their resurrection on the last day, their faith in Jesus Christ, who gives them eternal life. Maybe the sacrificial love that they showed in their marriage, just as Christ loved us by dying for his bride, the church, We point to their baptismal identity, to their identity as a beloved child of God, as John says in our epistle. And so when you die, what will Jesus say about you? She loved the bears. She liked watching TV. He never ate dinner or prayed with his family. He was... Too busy, but I'm sure it was important. No. Thanks be to God, we don't have to wonder if that's what Jesus will say about us. Thanks be to God, we don't have to guess what Jesus will say. We have been given God's sure word. We have been given his revelation in Revelation chapter 7. A vision of you and your loved ones in heaven in the second part of our Revelation reading. Revelation chapter 7, past the big block of the 12,000s, or the 1200s. If the first vision of heaven was the now church, the church militant, this one's the future church, the church triumphant. All those Christians who had faith in Christ across all of human history, you, your dad, Bach, Abraham Lincoln, your grandparents, they're all up there with you. Isn't it weird how we're watching ourselves in the glory of the Lord, given a glimpse in Scripture? How wonderful. And this is why I chant before communion. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven. Because we worship and commune 
around this chancel, this altar, the risen, though he was slain, Lamb Jesus Christ. We bask in the glory of God with ourselves, our church family, and all who have believed and will believe in the faith. This is heaven on earth, basking in the glory of God with all of our loved ones who have died in Christ. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll see heaven on earth. You'll hear heaven on earth. It's why Jesus doesn't want you to miss it. It's why Jesus wants it to be in your home. John writes, everyone who has faith in Jesus Christ is purified or made clean, just like Jesus is purified and clean. This vision in Revelation is what being purified by faith looks like. A great multitude that none could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. They are washed clean, just like Jesus is clean. Washed clean in their baptisms, marked with his name. The blood dripping from the cross has washed them and purified them. Salvation has come to you. And so, John asks, as we will ask in my favorite hymn during distribution of communion, who are these clothed in white robes? Where are they from? And that's where we get Jesus' eulogy for you. For your loved ones who believed in Christ. Jesus is on his throne in heaven and he looks out over a crowd, you, the faithful, and he says, These are my beloved people who did not lose faith in me. Even when it wasn't popular in the 21st century to be a Christian, even though their lives were difficult, even though they faced all sorts of sicknesses, and their, even their families no longer believed and walked away, they remained and were faithful. These are my beloved sheep whom I chose the cross for, out of joy, whom I suffered for joy, whom I endured violence and mockery for joy, the joy of dying for them on the cross. And in that blood, that bloody sacrifice, they were washed clean from their sin, joined in my death, joined in my resurrection, in their baptism, as Paul writes in Romans. I rose from the dead for them, says Jesus. Their dirty clothes are washed white as snow. They were hungry. They thirsted for righteousness. They will be hungry and thirsty no more. I, Jesus Christ, am both the good shepherd and the sacrificial lamb described in Psalm 23. I will guide you. I will wipe every tear from your eyes as you mourn with hope 
This is the great reward for remaining faithful that Jesus describes in Matthew. Jesus makes good on all those promises. The hungry, the mourning, the weak, the poor in spirit, they're filled by Jesus, by our faith in him, both now and in the life to come. When Jesus looks at your life, even now, these are the things he thinks are important about your life. Thank you, Jesus. What a blessing. He is so merciful because that means that right now you can change. I can change. I, you, can reprioritize our lives around what Jesus tells us is truly important. He's told you what's important here in Revelation 7. And yes, your life won't look like what other people's lives in the world look like. For John tells us the world does not know or love Christ or what's pleasing to him. But you love Christ more than the world. And so you hope in him, which purifies. It cleanses your soul from all unrighteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God.